0: Stop here. Yeah. Yeah. Wednesday, July 15th here at Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are on episode four of our Division by Division Preview Series. Today, we'll take us into the NFC North. Of course, you can find the three previous episodes available anywhere you get your podcasts and on DraftSharks.com. Also on DraftSharks, you can now find 23 free player profile previews available Jared just delivered his latest puff piece on Terry McLaurin, which I I believe, Jared, this one has his measurements for his Golden Hall of Fame jacket, right?
1: Yeah, something like that. Um, It's funny, too. You know, we recorded the... AFC East podcast before the Cam Newton to New England news. We recorded the NFC East podcast before the Kelvin Harmon ACL news. Obviously not nearly as big of news, but I think still impactful considering, you know, Harmon looked like the the favorite to be the number two target in that passing game. Not only the number two wide receiver, but the number two target. So his absence for the rest of the season definitely frees up some targets for
0: McLaurin and for other guys like Steven Sims and you know, whoever wins the number two wide receiver job there. I think shockwaves is really the only way to describe (laughs) the Kelvin Harmon injury and how it's going to impact this coming season. Yep. I look forward to when Antonio Brown finally signs with Washington, at least maybe they're waiting until they have a new team name so that they can announce who's (laughs) signing them. For DS Insiders, I posted this morning a look at strength of schedule for the running backs for 2020. It is not an ACK avoid this player guide, but rather a look at which spots might help or hinder some of the backs. I will say that Josh Jacobs came out uh, Mm -hmm. looking a bit rosy. So check that out if you're a DS Insider. You can find plenty more, of course, on DraftSharks.com, especially if you're a DS Insider. And we'll be adding more all the time as we approach the scheduled opening of training camps. Of course, we'll see if they actually open. For now, though, let's dive into the NFC North with the Chicago Bears. And Jared, are there any relevant coaching changes here? There are Matt Nagy back for
1: his third season as head coach, but there are some changes underneath Nagy on this coaching staff. Um, offensive coordinator Mark Helfrich is out. OC Bill Laser in. Laser does have four seasons of head coach or sorry, offensive coordinating experience in the NFL: 2014 to 2015 in Miami, 2017, 2018 in Cincinnati. Nothing too encouraging if you look at those teams. Um, they finished 14th, 26th, 32nd, and 26th in. Total yards. Lasers' offenses did lean pass. His finishes in pass rate on those four teams ninth fourth twelfth and eighth they were all teams that won eight or fewer games the, the Dolphins won eight and six games under laser the Bengals won seven and six games so that I'm sure that pushed them a bit towards the pass but they weren't so bad where you know you can say laser had to pass because his teams were trailing so much um, the other change here I think is noteworthy John DiFilippo hired as quarterback coach he has three years of offensive coordinating experience the most recent came in Jacksonville last year and I do think that's noteworthy. Because Because the Bears traded for Nick Foles, who played under
0: DiFilippo in Jacksonville this past season. Yeah, and interesting that he's been canned from both of the previous two stops as OC. So yeah, I think it's more kind of meh coaching records Mm -hmm. on meh teams joining a meh Bears offense on a meh Bears team. It's going to be tough to get excited while talking about this team.
1: Definitely. I do still think this is going to be Matt Nagy's offense. You know, he is an offensive mind, and again, he, he's back. So I don't expect a ton of changes here. And and like you alluded to there, this Bears offense hasn't been great under Nagy the first two seasons. Uh, finishes of 21st and 29th in yards, uh, 20th and 31st in yards per play. They did somehow finish 9th in total points back in 2018, but they dropped to 29th this past season. The Bears went 53.8% pass in 2018. That climbed all the way to 61. percent percent 3% this past season. I think you look at the difference, though. The 2018 Bears won 12 games. They were playing with a bunch of leads. Last year's Bears won just eight games, so they kind of had to throw it more. Vegas has the Bears projected for eight wins again this season. So I think we're going to see something much closer to the 61% pass rate that we got last year versus the you know 54% in 2018.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And basically just for the reasons that you said, I projected them at 59 to 41 pass to run because I don't think that the team looks like it's going to be significantly better than last year. I think they need – a big-time defensive performance to be significantly better. And the coordinator, Vic Fangio, who coordinated that 2018 defense is in his second season as the head coach in Denver right now. So, yeah, I don't I don't see a reason to believe that this team's going to be a whole lot better than it was last year.
1: No, I agree. Um, I went 60% pass for this season. I do think if Foles does prove to be an upgrade over Trubisky, it does seem like Nagy, he, he comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. I think he does want to be a pass-leaning play caller. And again, if, if Foles gives them more consistent play at least, you know, that'll help Nagy move in that direction.
0: I'm not really sure why any NFL coach would not want to lean past a little (laughs) bit at least right now, unless they're winning by a lot. So yeah, I would, I would assume that they'll try to lean in that direction. That takes us into the QB notes. This might be the most uninteresting QB battle that we've seen in a while. You know, I say battle in air quotes, Mitchell Trubisky, wins on fantasy upside in between him and Nick Foles because of the rushing that's what helped propel him to a number 12 ranking in fantasy points per game in 2018 but the Bears obviously wouldn't have traded for Nick Foles in his bloated contract if Nick Foles didn't have a pretty good shot at winning this job I think if you want to look at it optimistically the Bears have to be better at quarterback this year than they were last year because they will either have Nick Foles or with his higher floor than Mitchell Trubisky, or they'll have an improved Mitchell Trubisky who manages to beat out Foles in their summer competition.
1: Right. And I think this quarterback competition really only matters for the rest of the skill position guys that we might be drafting on the Bears. I don't think Foles or Trubisky is a fantasy option outside of, you know, maybe as a quarterback three in a in a best ball league or, you know, a quarterback three in a two quarterback setup. I do think Foles is the favorite. Like you said, they made the trade for him. They took on the contract. Foles does edge Mitchell Trubisky in career yards per attempt, touchdown rate, interception rate, he's, he's been a bit better so far as a pro. Foles also has a bunch of connections with this coaching staff. I mentioned last year with John D. Filippo in Jacksonville. Foles spent 2012 in Philadelphia and 2016 in Kansas City with Matt Negge, and he spent 2013 in Philadelphia with Bill Lazer. So he he's played under all three of those guys at some point.
0: The Bears quarterback you know, is going to get drafted in those leagues where every starting quarterback gets drafted. The fact that we head into the end of July not knowing for sure who is the starter between these two unexciting options makes me want to be out completely on either of them. And I'd much rather buy into other uncertain situations such as Miami, Miami, and the Chargers, because I think there's a lot more upside in the options in those places.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The Bears quarterback is like my number 32 target among you know quarterbacks. I'd much rather take a shot on one of the Chargers guys, and
0: I'd, I'd also rather take a shot, like you said, on the Fitzpatrick a situation. Running back notes, David Montgomery had just five top 24 weeks last season as a rookie, did not rate particularly well by any measure. He got volume, though. 13th in carries, 12th in opportunities among running backs, just 40th among running backs and targets. So Tariq Cohen remained a drain there, even though Tariq Cohen didn't play particularly well last year. I think the best thing for David Montgomery heading into this season is that people aren't excited about him anymore. His ADP is at RB24 right now.
1: Right. I mean, for the volume that he got last year, we, we basically got a floor performance. I mean, it's tough to imagine him being less efficient, in 2020, I think you can definitely argue that, you know, he might not improve at all. You know, that's definitely possible. But even in that case, you know, again, he did finish 24th among running backs in PPR points, 21st in non PPR, assuming he gets similar volume. And I I, it's kind of hard to imagine him not just because there's no one else there. And, you know, treat Cohen is undersized and he hasn't been efficient as a ball carrier. Anyways, I think, I think Montgomery at least is locked into a pretty big ball carrying role.
0: Yeah. I was surprised that they didn't add anything significant to the backfield. This is like a prime spot for like a fifth or sixth round addition. Tariq Cohen saw almost exactly the same share of targets last season as the year before, 17.9% in 2019, 17.8% in 2018. His carries dipped though. He was about 21% in 2018, which was Matt Nagy's first season on the job, just about 16% last year, you know, even though that shallow backfield was in play, rated poorly in both rushing and receiving DVOA among running backs according to Football Outsiders, well below replacement level in both areas his playing time though didn't see any significant change his his opportunities didn't see like they didn't fall off in the second half so it wasn't like Mm -hmm. Tariq Cohen started out disappointingly and started getting the ball less he stayed fairly heavily involved throughout the year especially as a receiver and as you just said with Montgomery they didn't really add much so Cohen's kind of still in the picture there even if he's not exciting
1: yeah, definitely in the picture and you know the, the guy's been a top 33 PPR running back in each of his first 3 NFL seasons. He was actually 11th back in 2018. But my my question, my biggest question in this backfield is will Cohen continue to dominate the targets or will he lose more of that to Montgomery because Cohen as you said was not efficient last year in the passing game 4.4 yards per target that was 41st among 43 qualifying running backs Um, he was also bad in the efficiency metrics as a rookie in 2017 he was good in 2018 so he's been sort of all over the board Um, so again I think it's fair to question if he'll lose at least some target volume to montgomery this season montgomery beat cohen last year in yards per catch yards per target and pff receiving grade montgomery did plenty of pass catching stuff at iowa state so i think he can do more there and you know that that would obviously bump montgomery's fantasy stock and and if cohen loses much target volume that sort of knocks him off the radar altogether, I think, because he's already a tougher guy to to trust, especially in lineup setting leagues, because he relies so heavily on that target volume. If he loses any of it, I think he's sort of dead.
0: Yeah. I mean, if he loses any target share, he becomes Chris Thompson and not like not top Chris Thompson, like more recent Chris Thompson. (laughs) Yeah. Pass catcher notes, beyond Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson is a stud player. I mean, he finished seventh among PPR wideouts last year, and he finished third in the league in targets. Only Michael Thomas saw a larger share of targets than Allen Robinson's 26.6%. That was up from his 2018 share. He was at 21.6% that season over his 13 healthy games. You know, maybe that share comes back down this year, but there's not a whole lot of challenge against him in the, the target distribution in Chicago. There's Anthony Miller, who did some good things last year and we'll talk about it in a minute, but otherwise they added Jimmy Graham. They added Ted Ginn. after letting Taylor Gabriel walk, you know, Tariq Cohen, we mentioned is coming off a down year. So Allen Robinson's clearly the jewel here. And he gave us a wide receiver six finish back in 2015 with the Jaguars. So it's not a fir- the first time we've seen this kind of spike year for him, but last year was less flimsy than his 2015 because back with the Jaguars, he scored on seventeen and a half percent of his receptions in that season. Last year, Allen Robinson only scored on about seven percent of his receptions. So that's that's not only not a high mark. I mean, that's a little bit low. He could easily get to ten percent even with mediocre quarterback play. I think Allen Robinson's a solid bet to finish in the top twelve at the position.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, last year was just it, it was. One of the quieter, like elite fantasy seasons in recent memory, Robinson finished third in targets among all wide receivers, sixth in catches, 13th in yards, 13th in touchdowns. So yeah, like you said, he didn't overperform in the touchdown department. Robinson was also excellent in you know the, some of the underlying metrics. Uh, he was 29th among 79 qualifying wide receivers in yards per route run. He was 12th among those 79 in PFF receiving grade. Now he returns to the same offense, again, under Matt Nagy. Similar target competition, potential quarterback upgrade. Robinson still turns just 27 in August. So he's like right in the thick of his prime. Also a contract year for Allen Robinson. You know, a little extra motivation doesn't help. So I'm definitely
0: in on Robinson. He's a guy I've drafted a ton so far. Anthony Miller, as I mentioned, had a big flash in the second half of last year, week 11 through week 15. He drew nearly 25% of the team's target over that span averaged 6.6 catches and 86.2 yards per game over that stretch. Taylor Gabriel missed three of those five games and left another early. So that helped. Gabriel's now gone, though. As I mentioned, they brought in Ted Ginn in his place. Riley Ridley has generated a little bit of offseason buzz. But really, there's not a whole lot here besides Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. The biggest concern, I think, for Miller is that, once again, He's coming off uh, shoulder surgery for the second straight year. So we're going to have to see, make sure that that shoulder is good and it's not going to be an issue heading into the season.
1: Yeah, same left shoulder he had surgery on the previous offseason. So that's definitely a concern. Really, the rest of Miller's 2019 season outside that five game stretch is also a concern because that that five game stretch was awesome. He was a top 12 wide receiver in both PPR and non PPR points, but he totaled just 19 catches, 225 yards, zero touchdowns across his other 11 games. That includes a one catch two yard outing and a one catch five yard outing in the final two weeks of the season immediately following that big five game stretch so it's not like he closed the season on this torrid hot streak he got hot for five games then cooled off again for the final two so he's still more of a flyer for me than a guy i'm gonna rely on as like even a wide receiver three in fantasy lineups do still like the player. I mean, he he checked a lot of boxes as a prospect coming in, got good draft capital, obviously a clear path to the number two wide receiver job here. So there's upside as he showed during that five game stretch, but not a guy I want to go into the season banking on.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with being apprehensive. I do think the fact that he was playing through the shoulder issue, you know, gives you a potential excuse for the, the uneven performance, but certainly not a guy to rely too heavily on. It's going wide receiver 49 in July, best ball 10s drafting. I think that's, I think that's late enough to make him worth a shot and to buy on the upside. It's also not quite late enough that you can say, "Ah, there's only upside from this spot. There are certainly other attractive guys around him. Riley Ridley is worth mentioning. We'll see if he turns into anything. There's opportunity available. Taylor Gabriel, as I mentioned, is gone. He left behind 5.3 targets per game. Only played nine games last year. I wasn't particularly interested in Riley Ridley coming out of college, though. I'm not drafting him. I'll just kind of see what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not drafting any you know, number three wide receiver in Chicago. I I think Ted Ginn's more interesting than Riley Ridley. You know, Ted Ginn, I think still has some gas left in the tank and and Taylor Gabriel did leave behind a bigger role than I had even remembered. But but again, I'm not not drafting any
0: Bears receiver outside of Robinson or Miller. Agreed. Jimmy Graham somehow got $9 million guaranteed (laughs) on a two year, $16 million deal from this team that must have just read his name that he was on the market and not watched any of his 2019 tape. Graham averaged 1.9 receptions per game over the final seven weeks last year. His playing time dipped late in the year. So I'm not sure what the Bears saw, but he at least steps into opportunity with Trey Burton gone.
1: Yeah, I have to confess, I've actually drafted Jimmy Graham a few times, just because no one wants to take this guy. He, he's in in like the mid thirties to like tight end forty in ADP, and I, I do think you know, based on the contract and at least his resume, that he is a pretty safe bet to be the lead tight end here. So I think that's at least worth something, but definitely not excited about him. He's thirty three years old. He he was he was bad last year, as you as you said, thirty um, third among thirty eight qualifying tight ends in PFF's receiving grades. But again, I think you know he's he's. Going to be on the field. He's going to get some targets. So in best ball leagues, especially FFPC,
0: I do think he's at least worth a look if he drops far enough. Yeah. ADP is basically making you consider him at this Mm -hmm. point. He's tight end 35 in July best ball tens drafting. There's only 32 NFL teams. (laughs) So there is only upside to Jimmy Graham from tight end 35 I would love to ignore him completely but I I can't at that level that said once we switch over to more lineup setting leagues I have zero interest yeah grant the guy you pass over for like
1: three rounds hoping someone else takes him but then he's still sitting there and you just have to take him eventually
0: who do you like is there anybody
1: in Chicago that you like yeah Allen Robinson's the only guy I can say I like and again I have drafted him a bunch Um, his wide receiver now it's his uh, ADP now is climbing it seems like he's up to wide receiver nine in the middle of the third round that's where I think he should be going so I'm not going to call him a Mm. massive Value there, but again, I think he's just fine. Especially if you start running back, running back. I think Robinson,
0: as your wide receiver one in round
1: three, is a good pick.
0: Yes, I agree with that. I think he's appropriately priced in drafts right now. He's somebody I'll look at in that range where there are you know several guys that I know will be available. At least one of them when I get my pick there. David Montgomery is okay. Uh, he's running back twenty four right now. I don't think that there's big upside on that price because I don't think that he's that much better a player. Than what he showed last year, so I'll take him if it comes to that. But I'm more interested in Cam Akers a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Both Ravens are behind him, and any two rounds later, Ronald Jones is going. I think he and, and David Montgomery have kind of similar you know floor ceiling uh, opportunities. I guess the, the the mark in Montgomery's favor versus somebody like Ronald Jones is that we know David Montgomery is going to lead right. his back carries. Yeah, I agree that Montgomery doesn't
1: have a ton of upside from running back 24. I also think running back 24, though, is been closer to his floor than his ceiling just because he does have that workload pretty much locked in. Um, he's not a guy I've drafted a lot of, though, honestly, and it. It's more because I'm, I tend to be taking wide receivers in that you know fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. sixth round range, which is where he goes. But you know, if, if you do get to the fifth round and you only have one running back or even zero running backs, I think Montgomery is that floor pick that you know you know you're going to get 15 plus touches out of him most weeks. Mm-hmm. Who I don't like is the Bears. <laughs> i mean the, all these guys are cheap enough i mean the, the quarterback situation is the only one i'm not touching um like, uh, we mentioned anthony miller wide receiver, 49 that's okay jimmy graham tight end 35 tough to argue with him there all these guys are guys that are just okay definitely no one i'm going into drafts targeting
0: other than Allen robinson yeah i can pretty much always find somebody whose upside i like yeah. better at the spot where i would otherwise be taking the bear yes on to the Detroit Lions, and no significant coaching changes here. Matt Patricia enters his third season as head coach. Maybe his last if there's not a big turnaround, because he went 6-10 and then 3-12-1. Lost Matthew Stafford halfway through last year, of course, so, you know, that factored into the, the poor record. And we'll dig further into Matthew Stafford in a few minutes. Daryl Bevel enters his second season as Lions OC. Finished last year 26th in points, 31st in yards. Tied for 17th in yards per play. You know, again, obviously Matthew Stafford going down midway through the season was a factor there. Daryl Bevel has spent 13 seasons as an OC, five in Minnesota, seven in Seattle, and then last year with Detroit. It's just the second time that his offense has reached 60% pass in that entire run. But his three largest passing shares have come over the past three years, 60.2%. 59.4% 59.4% in his final two Seattle seasons, then 60.1% last year. And, you know, that was both with and without Matthew Stafford. They were right about the same level in pass-run split. So 3-4-1 and one in the Stafford stretch. Obviously didn't win very much after Stafford went down. Zero times, in fact. He has said that they want to run the ball more. I'm not sure, though, that this Detroit team is set up to run the ball significantly more. And I'm not really sure how much more... He actually wants to run the ball at this point based on recent Daryl Bevel seasons.
1: Yeah, and Bevel, definitely not like a play caller I get excited about, but it is worth noting that the Lions offense was pretty good over the first half of last season when Stafford was healthy. They averaged 25.5 points per game with Stafford. That dropped to 17.1 without him. 391 total yards per game with Stafford, just 302 without, without Stafford. So, you know, that was obviously a big deal. And again, this offense was definitely producing for fantasy when Stafford was healthy last year.
0: As I said, I think they would like to run the ball a little bit more, but I projected them yeah. at sixty forty this year. I think the the team doesn't excite me and I think that the backfield is not really set up to, you know, lead this offense.
1: Yeah, I, I saw those last three pass rates for Bevel, you know, all right around sixty
0: percent. And I, I think sixty percent is a fair projection for this season. QB notes, Matthew Stafford threw eight games. He ranked second among fantasy quarterbacks last year. It was his highest fantasy scoring average since twenty eleven. That was the year he threw for five thousand yards, forty-one touchdowns. He has only reached thirty touchdown passes once in seven healthy seasons since then. And his 2019 scoring average was 8.3 points per game higher than in 2018. That was a career low. It was also, though, 4.2 points per game higher than 2017, 4.1 higher than 2016. So it was basically just well above almost everything else that Matthew Stafford has done. Other than 2011, no other season for Matthew Stafford has been within three points per game of his scoring average from last year.
1: Yeah, and if he did what he did last year over 16 games, it'd be easier to buy into something close to a repeat this season. But the fact that it was only eight games makes me even more, you know, iffy on him. His 8.6 yards per attempt last year, about a yard and a half higher than his career average. His six and a half percent touchdown rate last year was about two percentage points higher than his career average. So those are definitely the concerns. The other concern is the back injury that, that cost him the second half of last year. Adam Schefter reported that it's, quote, potentially chronic. So that's going to be something to monitor, too. So I I like Stafford, but I, I think he belongs more, you know, back in borderline quarterback one territory than, you know, the top five guy he was over the first half of last year.
0: Yeah, the back will be interesting to watch. Matthew Stafford said himself via Instagram back in January that he was, quote, completely healed. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean he won't still have, you know, other issues stemming from it. He's one of those regression candidates that everybody sees as a regression candidate. Mm -hmm. His ADP has climbed a bit though, through drafting season QB 12 in July, best ball tens going at the 10, 11 turn. That's he was QB 14 in April and May. So he was basically going at about the same spot in draft. So a couple other quarterbacks have dropped down past him yeah. rather than him actually moving anywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he's in that big clump of like, you know, eight to 10 quarterbacks that go in round eight through 12. And, and I'm fine with him in there. He is, I think, closer to the top of that group. And there's a few guys I like better than him. So I haven't drafted a ton of staffer, but I, I also have no issue with where he's going.
0: Yeah, I'm not really opposed to him either, but I also haven't been targeting him in that, as you said, pretty tightly packed group. Running back notes, and I think they should start with the offensive line, actually, because up front, they let right tackle Ricky Wagner walk in free agency. They let right guard Graham Glasgow walk in free agency. They signed Halapoldo Vitae from the Eagle for big money. He could be a right tackle. He could play guard. They also drafted guards in both round three and round four. So I think it's most likely that Vitae settles in at right tackle. The team was better in adjusted line yards, each of the past two years, ranked 20th in that Football Outsiders category. Each of the past two years, after being last in the league in 2017, but clearly the Lions feel like they need to improve their blocking, particularly for the run game.
1: Yeah, I was I was hoping you'd uh, give vitae's first name a shot, so I wouldn't have to. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah, no I mean, good. I think again, this offensive line ranked 20th in adjusted line yards last year, so you know, below, below average. I, I I look at the changes they made, and I I think. It's more likely to be worse this season. I mean, Vitai if, if people seem to like him, but he only has 20 NFL starts, so he's uh, you know a pretty big question mark. And if they're going to have a rookie at the other spot that they're filling, um, it's definitely a concern. I think this is again, you know, at least going to be a back half
0: offensive line. That's my assumption as well. DeAndre Swift they picked in round two. Daryl Bevel. Called him a complete back after the draft. Said, quote, he can handle as much as you want to give him. DeAndre Swift did lead all Georgia running backs in receptions as a true freshman. And that's particularly noteworthy because he was entering a backfield that had Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle in it. Uh, Swift averaged 6.6 yards per carry for his career. yards per catch. He brings an 80th percentile speed score, thanks to his 4.48 second 40 at 212. So similar in size to Carrion Johnson, but looks like a better athlete and more talented player.
1: Yeah, I definitely expect Swift to lead this backfield in touches this season, but I also fully expect this to be a committee backfield. I mean, you, you have a head coach who comes from New England who, you know, has... Use committee backfield since Belichick arrived there Matt Patricia's openly talked about preferring committee backfields too so I think Kerryon Johnson's going to remain to vo- remain involved I mean Ty Johnson is still there they also spent a fifth round pick on Jason Huntley who caught 128 passes over his three college seasons I mean it's a fifth round rookie so he's no he's no guarantee but I think it at least shows again that they they want to have multiple backs involved here so I think Swift's a good prospect again I think he's going to lead the way in touches, but I think it's going to be a frustrating backfield from week to week. And again, I don't think it's going to be this super productive backfield where, you know, Swift can even produce big numbers on, you know, 12 to 14 touches per game.
0: Jason Huntley in round five is the kind of pick that would have made a whole lot more sense for the Bears than it made for Detroit after they already took DeAndre Swift in round two.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the Bears already have their Huntley and Tree Cohen, though. I get
0: your point, though. Yeah, but if that's if that's your Huntley, then why draft another Huntley? Because right. I think you can probably do that uh, better. Um, Daryl Bevel's past, you know, we mentioned the, the pass run split, but it's also interesting to look at in terms of how he's worked as lead back because overall, most of Daryl Bevel's history has favored a lead back. Mm-hmm. That said, it also kind of tracks with the NFL moving away from lead backs and more to committees. His lead back through 13 seasons as OC has averaged 17.9 carries per game. But the three years that he didn't have any running back average, at least 15.9 carries per game, were his past three years. Those two years in Seattle at the end and last year with Detroit. So I don't think that we're going to see a, a strong leader in carries here. I do think Swift is the leader, but I think that's going to be a lower number than we've historically seen in a Daryl Bevel offense.
1: You know, I think even coming into the league, I thought Swift looked more like a committee back than like a, a workhorse. I mean, he's 5'8. 212 pounds so he's not small but he's not like your you know prototypical 300 touch running back size he also never reached 200 carries in any of his seasons at georgia he dealt with leg foot and shoulder injury so i think he's in sort of the spot he belongs which is you know again maybe maybe a guy who gets 15 or so touches per game
0: carry on johnson the primary competition just 39th in rushing grade among 61 running backs last year with 60 plus carries 34th in that group in elusive ratings not terrible but also not anything special 41st in rushing DVOA among 45 qualifiers, according to Football Outsiders. He rated much better in 2018 and only got five starts last year because of a meniscus tear. But, you know, again, the swift selection in round two makes it look like Detroit feels like they needed an improvement.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, last year was ugly for carry-on. The durability concerns are definitely real. I mean, he had trouble with injuries in, in college as well. But I mean, we loved this guy going into last year. The Lions took him forty third overall just a couple of years ago. I mean I again I feel like expect Swift to lead the backfield in touches, but it's you know it's it's not a lock. And on Johnson goes late enough in drafts that he's someone I've taken a shot on. You know at ADP is like a fourth running back just because I do think there's upside there because of his talent and because Swift's still an unknown, uh, a rookie in this COVID impacted off season. I think there's some shot carry on at least outproduces his pretty
0: cheap ADP. I'm fine with him in that range, but he's also kind of in the range where I don't want to be taking running backs just because I don't particularly like his upside because of the situation. I mean, Bo Scarborough is also still there to potentially steal some touches. mentioned Jason Huntley who caught 134 passes at New Mexico state. If this were a better team or a team that I thought had a chance to be pretty good, then I'd be more interested. But as it is, I'd rather just be out on this backfield. That's completely fair. Pass catcher notes. Kenny Galladay, 20.3% target share last year, ranked 19th among wideouts. It was only a little bit higher, 21.3%. When Matthew Stafford was in there, that still would have ranked 15th. So he finished wide receiver seven, but it looked like a flimsy wide receiver seven, and people are drafting him at that level right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was definitely impressive last year. I mean, to finish wide receiver nine in PPR, wide receiver three in non-PPR, with crap at quarterback for the second half of the the season. Definitely impressive. I think Galladay's a good player. I do think he's being overdrafted, though. He's definitely in for some regression. He averaged 18.3 yards per catch, scored on 16.9% of his catches last year. Over his first two years in Detroit, 15.7 yards per catch. So, you know, about three last yards per catch in his first two seasons, or sorry, than he had last year and an 8.2% touchdown rate over his first two years. So about half of what he had last year. So I think both those numbers are coming down. You mentioned the targets. He was just 21st among all wide receivers and targets last season. He was 18th in the eight games with Matt Stafford. So he was seeing mid to low and wide receiver two level volume, um, I think he can outproduce that because he he is a, a really good player, but I don't I don't think he he belongs
0: as high as he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a good player who's just being overdrafted. I I think the yards per catch and touchdowns are likely to come down. The yards per catch might be in better shape than they might seem though, because he did see his average depth of target rebound last year. Back in 2017, he was at 15.7 in that category, according to PFF. Then he dipped to 12.5 in 2018, but back up to 16.1 last year. So it seems like the switch at OC got Galladay working deeper downfield. You have to think Matthew Stafford returning for the full season only helps, you know, the chances of kind of leveraging that area for him. So maybe the, the yards per catch stay up, even if they do come down a bit from last year's high.
1: Yeah, it'll stay up, but I don't expect it to stay at 18.3. Again, it could go down to his average over the first two years, 15.7. That's still a really strong number. I think that, that's a pretty fair projection for this year.
0: Yeah, I do think, though, that you know 17 yards per catch is not outlandish no. as a possibility for him. Yep. Marvin Jones trailed Galladay by only five targets in their eight shared games with Stafford last year, beat Galladay by one target in their nine shared games in 2018. What do you think of Marvin Jones?
1: I mean, he's definitely a better value than Kenny Galladay. Um as you said that uh, it's been more of a one A, one B between Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, then you know Galladay being a clear number one guy, Marvin Jones was fifteenth among all wide receivers in PPR points through those eight games in that Stafford last year. It did include that four TD game against the Vikings in Week Seven, but Marvin Jones also had two other top eleven PPR finishes among those eight games. Um, he finishes a top thirty-six wide receiver and four out of the eight, so you know, definitely a volatile guy. But anyone you're drafting, you know, outside the top thirty wide receivers, is going to be volatile from week to week. So uh, among the two. Lions wide receivers are much more likely to draft Marvin Jones.
0: Yeah, he's been a volatile scorer, as you mentioned. But last year, he did have seven top 36 weeks among his 13 appearances. So that percentage tied for 27th among wide receivers, according to Jared's reliability ratings article that you can find on draftstrikes.com. He finished in PPR points per game. Marvin Jones did wide receiver 15, wide receiver 29, wide receiver 21 the past three seasons with Kenny Galladay around. So all three of those years, have found him much higher than where you have to draft Marvin Jones at this point. So even if he is volatile week to week, I think he's a pretty clear value on draft
1: Yeah, and and Marvin Jones is in for some regression too, but not nearly as much as Kenny Galladay. Jones scored on 14.5% of his touchdowns last year. That's that's a high number, but he scored on 11.9% over his first three seasons in Detroit. He's always been a high touchdown rate guy. Jones also averaged fewer yards per target last year, 8.6, than he did in his first three years in Detroit, 9.3. So again, Marvin Jones isn't as big of a regression
0: candidate as Kenny Galladay is. Danny Amendola rounds out the receiving core as far as uh, relevant guys here. 19.2% of targets in his 13 healthy games last year. Injuries to Marvin Jones and TJ Hawkinson helped, though it wasn't a huge boost late. 20.6% share after both of those guys went down. About 18.8% before either of those players went down. The problem, though, is just too crowded at this point to make Danny Amendola an actually attractive fantasy option, especially because he doesn't score touchdowns and if the Lions actually run the ball any more than they did last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, Amandola saw 97 targets last year, caught 62 of them, but he still couldn't even crack the top 50 in PPR points and definitely didn't in non PPR. I think, you know, 97 targets is probably even higher than his ceiling goes this season, unless, you know, Marvin Jones and all, Kenny Galladay miss
0: a bunch of time. TJ Hawkinson, I loved as a prospect. He is a three down player. The problem for me is trying to find something from his rookie year to point to yeah. as the reason he's going to step up in fantasy production this year, you know, other than, Oh, he's a good player.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's what he is. He's a bet on talent, and, you know, I, he's going late enough in drafts where I think he, he's a pretty good bet where he's going. He did, Hawkinson did have that massive week one, 131 yards and a touchdown. That came against the Cardinals, who ended up being, like, you know, the worst tight end defense in NFL history. Um, Hawkinson caught just 26 balls over his final 11 games. There were obviously plenty of excuses for him last year. I mean, the, the Matt Stafford injury. Um, Stafford missed Hawkinson's final four games. Hawkinson had a concussion in week four. He hurt a shoulder in November and then a season ending ankle injury in week 13. So he, he, was struck by injuries. And then there's just the fact that rookie tight ends rarely produce big fantasy seasons. So I still believe in Hawkinson long term. Again, he's a guy at tight end fifteen and ADP. I at least want to get some shares of for now in best ball season. We'll see, you know, what, what we're looking like as we get into more lineup setting drafts.
0: Yeah, I thought those week one numbers were a, an immediate breakout for TJ <laughs> Hawkinson, but it turned out they were an immediate breakout for any tight end against Arizona. Yep. I, I you know, like you just said, I, I like the player. I hope that there is a breakout coming. And I guess the thing that I like best about his second season is that he's only tight end 15. In ADP at this point. So he doesn't have a lot of people excited about him. What keeps me from getting more shares of TJ Hawkinson at this point is that I prefer Blake Jarwin and Jack Doyle straight up.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's fair on Jarwin. I, I, I won't give you Doyle there. Um, <laughs> you will really want to see going. <laughs> One more note on Hawkinson. So he was the fourth tight end to get picked in the top 10 in the NFL, in the NFL draft since 2000. Um, he, he joined Kellen Winslow, Vernon Davis and Eric Ebron on that list. If you look at what those three guys did in their first and second years, Kellen um, Allen Winslow caught just five balls in two games as a rookie. He actually missed the entire next year with an ACL injury, but... The following year which was you know i guess his third year but really his second season playing he caught 89 balls for 875 yards that year um vernon davis went from 20 catches and 265 yards as a rookie to 52 catches and 509 yards in his second season eric ebron went from 25 catches 248 yards as a rookie to 47 catches 537 yards in his second season so again it, it's really what we see in general from these tight ends they, they struggle as rookies but a lot of them breakout in year two i think hawkinson's definitely a candidate to do that
0: who i like i'm not specifically targeting lions i'm cool with marvin jones at his cost which is wide receiver 36 and current adp i'm okay with matthew stafford i'm okay with tj hawkinson
1: yeah hawkinson's the one i've drafted the most of again at tight end 15 yeah i think stafford at quarterback 13 marv at wide receiver 36 and again i think carry johnson at running running back 39 if you're looking for a running back in that range, I think he he does make some sense. DeAndre Swift and Kenny Galladay, the guys I'm not drafting, especially Galladay at wide receiver seven. That, that that's a crazy price to me. I mean, I, I prefer Mike Evans, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, and then you know guys like Adam Thielen and Robert Woods who were going you know a round and a half to two rounds later than Kenny Galladay.
0: Kenny Galladay is so much of a no thanks for me. I did, kind of forgot about him when <laughs> I was writing down who I don't. But I, I've already hit it at this point. I, I, the backfield is also just something that I'd rather. Uh, let somebody else take the prices aren't outlandish, but Swift is going ahead of Cam Akers, both Ravens, um, and also in a range where I'd just rather take wideouts. Plus, I can get Darius Geist two and a half rounds later. on Johnson's basically tied with Tevin Coleman in July ADP. He's ahead of Philip Lindsay, Matt Breida, Zach Moss. I think there's more upside on all three of those guys than there is on on Johnson.
1: Yeah, definitely prefer Tevin Coleman to on Johnson, um, and then and then yeah, DeAndre Swift. I mean. Again, he's right in that David Montgomery range, and maybe Swift has more upside, but I, mean, I just think that the workload that Montgomery is locked into makes
0: him the much better bet at that price. Green Bay Packers, Jared, any relevant coaching changes here?
1: Uh, no coaching changes. Head coach Matt LaFleur and OC Nathaniel Hackett are back for their second season. Packers offense last year, I, I think was disappointing from what, you know, what we expected it to be in the summer. Um, they finished 18th in yards. They were 18th in yards per play, 15th in total points. Football outsiders did have them eighth in DVOA. Um, but, you know, I think that the fantasy production outside of Aaron Jones
0: really wasn't there. And the passing share dipped in Matt LaFleur's first season, well yeah. down from the league high share in 2018.
1: Yeah. I think LaFleur and Hackett both seem like guys that want to run the ball. And we've we heard that from the Packers this offseason that they do want to try to run the ball. They, of course, drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round, which sort of supports that. Matt LaFleur was the Titans OC in 2018. That team ranked second in run rate. Prior to that, LaFleur was the Rams offensive coordinator under Sean McVay. That team was ninth in the league in run rate. Nathaniel Hackett. Three years as the Jags offensive coordinator from 2016 to 2018. Those teams ranked 25th, 2nd, and 16th in run rate. So it's kind of all over the board there. Um, Hackett also spent two years as the Bills OC, 2013-2014. Those teams were 3rd and 20th in run rate. So again, kind of all over the board for Hackett. But overall, I think this does look like a, a coaching staff that wants to lean towards the run.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like they want to run more. And when you look at the draft, it supports that. I mean, they drafted A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara very early, much earlier than anybody else seemed prepared to do. The one thing that might complicate their desire to run the ball more is their record. I mean, yep. they got lucky in going 13-3 and last year. According to Pro Football Reference, their expected win-loss record, um, you know, based on actual performance, 9.7 wins, 6.3 losses. So I don't think that they're in for that kind of luck on the record this year. We'll see whether that impacts the pass run split.
1: Yeah, and Vegas has the Packers over under win total set at nine. So they're sort of on board with this team taking a step back. So last year's Packers ran 40.3% of the time. I think if the coaching staff had its way, they might want to be like, you know, 45% run. But I projected them down at 42% because I do think they're you know not going to be playing with as many leads this season, which is going to force them to have to throw a bit
0: more. I agree. QB notes, Aaron Rodgers has been sub 5% in touchdown rate each of the past two years. He's been right. below seven and a half yards per pass attempt for four straight years last year was just 7.0 uh, YPA it was tied with seven tied for 17th in the league with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Gardner Minshew and Joe Flacco and unless you are Devin Punches's mom <laughs> this receiving core did not get any better over the offseason i have no reason to be excited about Aaron Rodgers heading into his age 30 37 season
1: I'm not excited about him. I also don't think he's dead. I mean, he finished quarterback 11 in fantasy points last year. Um, his production was super volatile. He finishes a top three quarterback four different times he also failed to crack the top 20 in nine different weeks so he, he was tough to rely on um you know i, I think the Devontae adams injury definitely had something to do with that having a healthy adams will definitely help um over the past two seasons rogers has averaged 8.1 yards per attempt when targeting Devonte adams just 7.0 yards per attempt to everyone else so you know if he wants to just feed Devontae adams 200 targets that season that this season i think that'd be good for everyone but yeah I, I do think rogers is on the decline he's 36 years old now. He's not. He doesn't give us the rushing upside he once did. I don't expect him to bounce back into the top five fantasy quarterbacks. But again, I don't think he's dead. I still think he, he's in that big
0: cluster of you know borderline quarterback ones. Yeah, we'll get to who's going around him that makes me like him even less. Uh, running back notes, Aaron Jones, the easiest prediction in all of fantasy this <laughs> year is that Aaron Jones will score fewer touchdowns than he did in 2019. He scored 19 of them. We have had 39 seasons all time of 19-plus touchdowns from scrimmage. Only seven players have reached that level twice. Jamal Williams remains as a potential touch drain. You know, that was kind of up and down at different parts of last year. And the Packers, of course, added A.J. Dillon in round two. At the very least, he looks like somebody with the potential to challenge goal line touches, even if he shouldn't.
1: Yeah, Jones obviously
0: going to score fewer
1: times this season that the the expected touchdown study I did had him for eight rushing scores based on the number of rushing yards he had so you know half of what he actually ended up with I do think it's worth noting that Jones ranked seventh in the league in carries inside the five-yard line last season so that that's going to help the touchdown production as you said we'll have to see if he continues to get those goal line touches because the Packers did spend that second round pick on A.J. Dillon so you know to me just as big a concern as the touchdown regression for Jones is the competition and his volume because he already saw just, you know, kind of underwhelming volume last season when Jamal Williams was healthy. Jones averaged 13.8 carries and 3.6 targets per game in 13 games with Jamal Williams. That, that bumped up to 19 carries and seven targets per game in the three games Williams missed. So with a healthy Jamal Williams, Jones was already not seeing running back one level Volume and now you had AJ Dillon into the mix who shouldn't be a threat in the passing game, but definitely could steal some more of
0: Jones's carries away. When best ball draft season began, Aaron Jones was screaming first round bust pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, or unfortunately, probably more unfortunately, fantasy drafters are now more inclined to expect regression, I think, and he has slid into round two almost to the point of being in the middle around round two mm-hmm. in ADP. So I think when you get Aaron Jones to that level, he's fine. I still don't think that he, that makes him a value at RB 12.
1: No, I think that's about where he belongs at
0: RB 12. It's actually where we have him ranked because um, mm-hmm.
1: there are, there are concerns, but I, I, on the other hand, he's awesome. I mean, he, you know, he's been awesome since he entered the league and he is on a good Packers team. You know, even if we expect them to win fewer games this season, it's, I, I think it's going to be a good team. And it's a team again that I think wants to run the ball even more than they did last year. So there are plenty of positives for Jones. Again, I think running back 12 is about right.
0: Jamal Williams still around. A.J. Dillon figures to beat him in carries this year, but A.J. Dillon also looks like basically a zero in the passing game. So we should still see Jamal Williams involved to some degree, but the whole cluster at this point makes him difficult to to like in fantasy. And A.J. Dillon, I feel like I've said enough about him on the pod so far. I I think he's overrated. (laughs) I think they really overdrafted him. So
1: do I, but Packers obviously like the guy and they spent a second round pick on him. So I think there's a chance he plays a bigger role than we would like this season. Jamal Williams is actually a guy I've drafted quite a bit. Um, He's running back 63 in ADP. So he's a guy you can get at the very end of your draft. He averaged 11.2 PPR points per game in his 13 healthy games last season. That ranked 34th among running backs. He was a top 36 PPR back in nine of those 13 games. You know, he he was, he was involved in the passing game, three and a half targets per game in those 13 healthy games. And he was good in the passing game Um, among 43 running backs with 30 plus targets last year. Williams ranked 22nd in yards per route run, fourth in PFF receiving grades. And he was first in PFFs pass blocking grades. So I think that's why he was getting on the field in passing situations. So Williams, not a guy that we're going to be able to rely on in lineup setting leagues without an Aaron Jones injury, but in in basketball at his price, I think he's a guy you take late and, you know, could give you at least, you
0: know, four or five starting weeks. And even with an Aaron Jones injury, the Packers have made Jamal Williams at best a a shaky prospect by drafting A.J. Dillon when they had no business doing so. I mean, Jamal Williams also got a bit lucky with the five receiving touchdowns last year. That's obviously not going to happen, even if he even if Aaron Jones goes down, Jamal Williams is the lead receiving back. That's just not a number he's likely to repeat. But I, I certainly agree that at the level he's going. There's really no risk to stashing him deep in lineups at the same time as we get into August and we're drafting teams where we're going to have to set starting lineups every yes. week. I don't think Jamal Williams or A.J. Dillon is the kind of guy who's going to turn into somebody you can comfortably put into starting lineups, even as a handcuff type.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think if Jones goes down, it'd, it'd be a you know frustrating committee between those these two. So um, I won't be interested once we get to lineup setting leagues.
0: But again, in best ball, I think Williams makes some sense at his price. Pass catcher notes, Devontae Adams drew 31.7% of Packers' targets after returning from his injury last year, including the playoffs. That number would have ranked him barely behind Michael Thomas in target share. Michael Thomas was at 31.8%. Green Bay added little in the way of target challenges, of course. They signed Devin Funchess, dismissed Jimmy Graham. Alan Lazard's still around. Jay Sternberg is around. Equinemia St. Brown is coming off an injury. So with all that as the challengers for targets, I think DeVonte Adams is a good bet to lead the league in targets. You look at DeVonte Adams versus Michael Thomas, they're in like very similar situations. I mean, quality
1: wide receivers with good quarterbacks and the clear number one options in their passing game. So to me there there's not there's not as much separating Adams from Thomas as like the ADP. Would suggest. Um, I think Adams super, super safe. So one one concern would be durability. Um, he you know he missed the four games last year with the turf toe. He had a right knee injury, cost him a game in 2018. Uh, two concussions back in 2017 side, sidelined him for two games. So he he's missed seven games now over the past three seasons. That's really the only knock I can make against them. Though I think you know when you get to the tail end of the round of the first round of fantasy drafts, Adams is a, is a pretty safe pick.
0: I think his ceiling, his target ceiling is higher than Michael Thomas's because Derek uh, Cook missed some time mm-hmm. last year. and They have added Emmanuel Sanders. Alvin Kamara missed some time last year. So Michael Thomas has a lot more around him in terms of target challenges than Devontae Adams does. Yes, for sure. Alan Lazard reached starter level playing time in week seven last year, became the primary slot receiver around that time. So that makes him a fit in the lineup, even if Devin Funchess or someone such as Equinemius St. Brown earns playing time outside. Lazard was solid, and he's going late. I I don't really feel the need to build a case for or against him because he is wide receiver 67, so there's really nothing but upside to drafting him there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't love Lazard. I'm not super excited about him, but I think he is going later than he should be in drafts. He did emerge as the number two wide receiver over the final 10 games of last year. He was 51st among receivers in both PPR and non PPR points over that span. So, again, nothing super exciting, but at least a value on where he's going. I also think it matters that he built some rapport. With Aaron Rodgers, whereas, you know, Devin Funchess, who is Lazard's primary competition, has no chemistry with Rodgers. And especially in this offseason, I think that matters. So to me, Lazard is the favorite
0: to be Green Bay's number two wide receiver this season. But I think Funchess has a chance to unseat him. it seemed like Aaron Rodgers talked about Alan Lazard as somebody that he believes in, which seems more important <laughs> in Green Bay even than it is in other places based on King Aaron, the way he sits on his throne and runs things. It definitely is. Jay Sternberger is the only other guy that I really want to talk about in this group. He told the Locked On Packers podcast in April that Matt Lafleur plans to play him, quote, in the slot a lot and move him around the offense. They drafted Josiah DeGuara in round three. You know, it looks like a challenger, but he also looks more like a movable blocker, like their Kyle Eustachik is the report that the how Matt Lafleur views him. So. That could actually help Jay Sternberger free up to act more like a a receiver. He barely played as a rookie, of course, had a summer ankle injury that started him out on IR. But final college season, 48 catches, 832 yards, 10 touchdowns. We've mentioned it a bunch of times on here. He drew the Travis Kelsey comparison from Greg Cosell on tape heading into that draft. You know, not saying this guy is going to be Travis Kelsey, but saying there's some of the same ability here. Talent plus opportunity and the low draft day investment just makes Jay Sternberger one of my more favorite names of draft season so far.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Definitely upside here with Jimmy Graham gone. Unproven wide receiver core behind Devontae Adams. I mean, there's a chance Sternberger finishes second on the Packers in targets this season. He, he is still like basically completely up projection because we saw basically none of him last year. As you said, he missed the first eight games with the ankle injury. Played just 60 Snaps on offense and didn't see a single target over the final eight games of the reg- regular season. Did hit the stat sheet in the playoffs, caught three balls for 15 yards and a touchdown across two playoff games. But 2020 will basically be his rookie season because he did so little last year. But exciting prospect opportunities there, and as you said, at his cost. Tight end 24 and ADP. He definitely has the potential to crush that price tag.
0: Who I like is Jay Sternberger. He's my favorite Packer. You know, if he were tight end 13 in ADP, then I'd be like, all right, guys, I think we're a little too excited about him. But if he's 20 or below, I mean, there's nothing but upside from there. And there is the opportunity to be second on that team in targets as soon as this season.
1: Yeah, like Sternberger, like Jamal Williams, again, running back 63, you know, don't, don't love these guys, but we'll definitely take them at cost. The other group of guys I like is is Alan Lazard and Devin Funches because Lazard's going wide receiver 67 Devin Funches going wide receiver 86 I kind of like the idea of just drafting both those guys and you know pretty much locking in the Packers number two wide receiver I think it's a safe bet that at least one of those guys will return
0: value on their price tags and then you can spend your final pick on kicking yourself in the butt when Equinemius St. Brown oh, is um, <laughs> is Devin Funches this year hey, at least I can <laughs> rub it in your face when uh ESB breaks out I, I like Alan Lazard in that range personally. I haven't taken mm-hmm. any Devin Pontis, I don't think. I just don't believe in him, but I can't, I absolutely can't argue with taking him at where he's going. Mm-hmm. Who I don't like, though, is Aaron Rodgers. I don't hate him where he's going, but he's QB 10 in July ADP. He's ahead of Drew Brees. He's ahead of Tom Brady. He is less than a round behind Carson Wentz. I will take all three of those guys over Aaron Rodgers every time. And Aaron Rodgers is about three rounds ahead of Jared Goff. For fantasy purposes, yeah. I don't think there's any difference in the value between those two guys at this moment, except for where they're going in drafts.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Brady and Wentz are the two guys I'll sort of go out of my way to try to get. Other than that, I'm just waiting to you know see who drops among those next you know six, seven, eight quarterbacks. And if it's Rodgers, who drops to quarterback 15 or 16, I'll take him. But uh, more
0: often than not, he, he's not the guy that gets there. Minnesota Vikings. Relevant coaching changes. Offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski left to take over the Browns. We talked about him last week. Under Stefanski, the Vikings went just 50.9% pass last year. He was also the OC for the final three games of 2018. They were 52% pass over that span. So with Kevin Stefanski gone, they went with this new kid, Gary Kubiak, as the offensive coordinator. All Kubiak did was spend last season as the assistant head coach and offensive assistant for those Vikings that were so run heavy. He has 22 previous seasons of experience as either a head coach or an offensive coordinator, mostly in Denver and Houston. One year as Baltimore's OC. So plenty of Gary Kubiak stuff to go on. And he has tended to lean run. His median overall... Over the past 23 years, including last year in that span, 55% pass, 45% run. He has reached 60% pass just twice in that span. I projected this year's Vikings to go 54% pass with 1,010 plays, which is a little bit on the low side. They were at 970 offensive snaps last year. Gary Kubiak's offenses have trended higher in that category, a median of 1,046. I think, though, kind of cutting that in half is a good place to start our expectations for this offense.
1: Yeah, we we talked on last week's podcast when we were talking Stefanski that you know I I think Kubiak had a big say in last year's Vikings offense, which which I think is good news because I think we're not going to see a whole lot change in 2020. There's going to be plenty of continuity here in, in scheme and, and both in you know run pass build. I, I think you 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 got to project the Vikings to throw it a bit more. You know maybe they win one or two fewer games, but I think it's still going to be one of the run heavier offenses in the NFL.
0: QB notes: Kirk Cousins through his two Vikings seasons, only Drew Brees has a higher completion rate. Cousins ranks eighth in the league in touchdown rate over that span among quarterbacks with at least 500 attempts, 15th in yards per pass attempt, 24th in pass attempts last year, despite playing every game, but fourth in the league in that category in 2018. That's when the team went 8-7-1 and, and, of course, fired the OC that was throwing the ball too much. <laughs> and it's really tough for me to see a return to that higher level of passing volume for Kirk Cousins, unless this year's Vikings team stinks, and I don't think it will. That 2018 team had Dalvin Cook battling injury all year; he missed five games. It also had Stephon Diggs to go alongside Adam Thielen, and both of those guys stayed healthy. They, of course, have since traded Diggs and drafted Justin Jefferson.
1: Yeah, again, I expect this offense to look similar to last year. I think they they want to run it as much as possible. That's obviously not good news for Kirk Cousins, who, as as efficient as he was last year, still finished just 18th among quarterbacks in total fantasy points. He was 22nd in points per game, and he finished as a top 12 quarterback in only five a 15 game. So cousins going late in drafts, but even then he's not a guy I'm targeting just because I, I don't see a, a high ceiling with him.
0: He's a guy I'll take, if it makes sense where he's going, but he's, he's like, he's short range efficient. He'll complete passes. Uh, and if he gets high volume, it can be effective, but he's not going to put up explosive stuff. And especially when you combine it with what he has in the pass catching core this year, not right. a whole lot of, up, but I agree. Yep. Running back notes, Dalvin cook was number two among fantasy backs across formats before his shoulder injuries got in the way last year and was impressively consistent with his scoring week to week top seven among running backs and targets catches and receiving yards through those 11 weeks uh what do you think of Dalvin Cook this year
1: he's, he's awesome he was awesome last year as you said Cook was a top 12 PPR running back in nine of those 11 healthy games last season that, that's incredible to have that many running back one weeks and in the other two he was 20th and 18th so he didn't you know he didn't finish. Uh, lower than 20th in any of his 11 healthy games last season. The, the concerns are the injury history. You know, he had the, the two separate shoulder injuries last year has three shoulder surgeries on his resume. One back in high school, two while at Florida state had an ankle injury in 2015 Tore his ACL in 2017 missed five games with two separate hamstring injuries in 2018. So that, that that's the big concern. And then there's the holdout concern, which, you know, we, we just kind of found out about about a month ago and, Cook said said he's going to hold out without a new deal. Um, worth noting, without getting too far into the weeds with like CBA talk, but the new NFL CBA makes it tougher for players to hold out, or at least makes it more damaging for them to hold out. If Cook doesn't report for the first day of training camp, he loses his accrued season towards free agency. So that means he would not hit free agency next offseason; he'd be a restricted free agent. So that cost him a lot of money. So I I'd be surprised if if Cook. Holds out i think he's going to be there the first day of training camp but that at least adds a bit more risk to his profile
0: wow good note there i was not aware of that one and that certainly changes the the penalty for holding out
1: for sure yeah i mean I, i'd be again I'd, I'd be surprised he'd be costing himself a ton of money if he's not able to hit free agency next off season.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised the NFLpa allowed that to be in there yep Um, I, the holdout issue has definitely pushed him down draft boards. I don't, I'm not sure whether it's done so overall ADP wise, but there are definitely more drafts now Mm -hmm. in which he falls to the later part of round one. You know, we'll see if it happens, but last year we saw Ezekiel Elliott hold out until just before the season started. And then he was just fine health wise through the season and production wise and all that. Melvin Gordon held out into the season then came back and started. He had no physical issues, and he has more of a history of physical issues than Ezekiel Elliott. You know, Dalvin Cook, you mentioned, has missed 19 games through his three seasons, so I think he's a little bit more worrisome than some other running backs would be if he does hold out and miss some summertime, but I'm not adjusting my draft plan for Dalvin Cook based on that concern right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, the holdout stuff and the injury history makes cook the clear number five running back behind McCaffrey Barkley Zeke and Kamara but to me he's also still the clear number five overall pick for me I, I think the risk is worth the you know upside with Delvin cook again he, he was he was the clear second best running back in fantasy football when he was healthy last season so let's you know, be able to get that even with the fifth pick and, and like you said I, I you know I've seen him drop it to eight nine ten in some drafts I think he's he's a, a big time value there with the potential upside you're getting with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Alexander Madison, 4.6 yards per carry on a hundred rushes as the number two back last year as a rookie could not take advantage of cook injuries because he had his own ankle sprain in week 14. So he had to turn it over to Mike Boone, workhorse in college though was madison 514 carries 55 catches over his two starting seasons at boise state not a winner on speed but brings a good size at 221 looks good on tape at least on college tape still though i think madison's more of a handcuff than a standalone fantasy draft option
1: yeah definitely no more than a handcuff i mean he he averaged seven and a half carries and only 0.5 targets per game when cook was healthy last year and even that i think was boosted by a game or two where the vikings had a big lead and you know played madison a lot in the fourth quarter so he 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 wasn't a guy you could use when cook was healthy and man I, i wish he hadn't got hurt last year because i'd like to know for sure that you know he is the clear handcuff because you know mike boone was a guy that a lot of people like and you know he he was he was a popular fantasy play in week 16 last year you know fantasy championship week with madison and cook out and, and boone flubbed that week but then the following week he goes for 148 yards and a score on, on 17 carries so he did flash last year last year um so you know i don't know i think there's a chance that a cook misses more time this season or holds out that um, it's more of a committee with Madison and Boone. And if that's the case, then, you know, Madison barely has any value, especially with how high he goes in drafts. He's like, you know, him and Tony Pollard tend to be the the first, you know, handcuffs off the board and fantasy drafts. He, he
0: goes, he goes too high for me. Jared, we did not have to repeat those numbers from last year. I guarantee you that anybody that started him in week 16 remembers exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was rough. And, and of course he explodes the following week when, when no one, no one cares. Of course. And as you said, I mean, Madison reached double digit opportunities just four times all of last season. All four of those came in double digit victories for the Vikings. He had 12 total targets for the season. Five of those came in a game. That Dalvin Cook left early, so yeah, you weren't using Alex Madison if Dalvin Cook was on the field. Pass catcher notes: Adam Thielen, a Week Seven hamstring injury basically ended his season. He played just one more full game after that. He was wide receiver seven in PPR in Kirk Cousins' first season in Minnesota in 2018. Set the record, the NFL record, with eight straight games of 100 plus yards to start that season. Wide receiver eight in PPR back in 2017 with Case Keenum as the primary QB. Now he's clearly the number one wideout with Stefan Diggs gone to Buffalo. Justin Jefferson in, in his place. Looks like a solid value where he's going, too.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's fair to blame last season completely on the hamstring injury because Thielen was productive before he got her. He was sitting ninth among wide receivers in PPR points through – his first six games, saw 38 targets, caught 26 of them for 366 yards and five touchdowns in those six games. He was efficient, um, 12th in yards per route run among 51 receivers with 30 plus targets over those those first six games. PFF had him sixth in their receiving grades among those first uh, six weeks, and then Thielen was healthy again for the playoffs and went for 129 yards on seven catches in the upset win over the Saints. Caught five balls for 50 yards. So, you know, sort of a, a mediocre game in the loss to the 49ers. But you know, again, I, I like that he came back healthy and showed that you know he's still fine when the hamstring's not a concern. So Thielen, you know, I think, candidate to not lead the league in targets because, you know, Minnesota is not going to throw enough, but I think he's a candidate to lead the league in target share. I mean, I think he can get up to 30%, especially if Justin Jefferson doesn't fire. Um, So Thielen definitely a guy I'm I'm targeting at cost because he's being discounted a bit because of
0: that hamstring injury last year. Yeah. The only question I think is target volume after last year's team. Uh, Stefan Diggs had what? 97 targets, I think for the season as the, the team leader so that's the only question and I think that they're likely to throw the ball more this year than they did last season yes for sure Justin Jefferson is now in Stephon Diggs's place A highly productive college player looks like he could play inside or outside depending on your preferences for him and much more so on the Vikings coaches preferences than yours because you're just a guy listening to a podcast right now um the problem here for me and what keeps me from even being you know intrigued with Jefferson this year is that target volume question Stefan Diggs as I said led the team in targets last year was just 34th at the position in targets league wide um Jefferson's going wide receiver 58 so you don't have to heavily invest to get him but there's also plenty of upside around him.
1: yeah no issue with him at wide receiver 58 I mean I think the the biggest mark in his favor is that he does have a clear I mean it'll be a big disappointment if he doesn't win the number two wide receiver job right out of the gate considering I think you know Laquan Treadwell is his biggest competition Laquan, but Laquan Jefferson Treadwell wasn't in Atlanta uh, right now oh that's right who Who? oh it's uh well it's all BC Johnson um I don't know Chad Beebe I don't even know what the competition <laughs> is so Jefferson should definitely win the number two job but he wasn't a prospect that I loved I mean I don't want to say he was a product of LSU's offense last year but that that, that definitely boosted the numbers so I, I don't love him as a prospect and as you said i don't think the target ceiling is that high even as the number two wide receiver because it is a run heavy offense um there's you know two quality pass catching tight ends here and Dalvin cook's going to continue to play a pretty big role in the passing game so jefferson a guy fine to take at his cost in basketball leagues, but you know, even in lineup setting leagues, I don't think he's a guy we're ever
0: going to feel comfortable starting. I just think he's going to see enough volume. Yeah. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's going just behind him in ADP. Brandon Ayoub is still around and a half behind Jefferson in ADP, even though he could be the Niners lead receiver lead wide out, at least now that Debo Samuel's dealing with the foot and Curtis Samuel yeah. right around Jefferson. I I think, you know, I wouldn't, I certainly would not be surprised if Jefferson, well outscores Curtis Samuel if Samuel doesn't really get properly applied. But I also think there's more upside to Curtis Samuel just as a player and in the system that he's in this year if he does get put in just the right spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the best thing I can say for Jefferson's upside is that he's, you know, one more Adam Thielen injury away from being the lead wide receiver on, on a team with a, a quality quarterback. So that that's the upside. And again, wide receiver 58, that that's cheap enough or I think he's fine to take some shots on.
0: Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph are the tight end pair. They were splitting opportunities pretty evenly before Adam Thielen went down last year, and then Rudolph got the target boost after that injury more so than uh, Irv Smith. Rudolph also beat the rookie in yards per catch and average depth of target last year, which wouldn't seem to match up with their respective skill sets. Smith matched Rudolph in red zone opportunities, though, and I think that's particularly worrisome for Rudolph because his fantasy value has relied pretty heavily on on whether he has produced year to year in that specific range. Yeah. I mean, the
1: fact that Irv Smith, who who was a 21 year old rookie turned this into, you know, basically a tight end by committee last year, I think is, is bad news for Rudolph and really good news for Irv Smith. I, I, I still have 2020 questions with Irv Smith, namely the volume, because Rudolph is still there and, you know, Thielen's going to dominate targets and it's going to be around heavy offense, but I'm definitely betting on Irv Smith long-term Um, his 79.1 PPR points last year were the fifth most in NFL history by a tight end age 21 or younger. The four guys ahead of Irv Smith on that list are Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Aaron Hernandez, David Njoku, and Tony Gonzalez. And then just behind Irv Smith is Jason Witten. So that's a really good list he's on to do what he did at age 21. So Irv Smith, definitely a guy I want to get in dynasty. Um, you know, he's fine at his redraft cost this year. I think there's some breakout potential if he can start, sort of, you know, send Rudolph to the bench
0: Um, but still still volume concerns for Irv Smith this year yeah I agree at tight end 23 for Smith and tight end 30 for Rudolph and ADP I think they're a fine pair to even stack on the same best ball roster if you're waiting Mm -hmm. until that range to get like a second and third at tight end I think it's going to be a situation though that I'm not interested in for a lineup Mm -hmm. league even you know with the idea of stashing Irv Smith because I think if you are looking for a stash You know, somebody like Eric Ebron or certainly Jay Sternberger in a similar range has a lot better chance to turn into somebody you will use on a weekly basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was a very tight end centric offense last year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say the Vikings were like second to only the Eagles in um, number uh, you know, percentage of snaps with two tight ends on the field and total target share two tight ends. So, you know, that's good news for both these guys. I think, yeah, stacking them both in best ball at their cost makes sense. And if one again, if one of them goes down, whether it's Irv Smith or Kyle Rudolph, Mm -hmm. I think the other guy probably becomes a top 12 tight
0: end. Who I like, uh, what I like the best in Minnesota right now is Dalvin Cook slipping to the late part of round one, fairly consistently.
1: Yeah, I'm all over him if he drops again. Even if, if I draw the, the five pick in a draft right now, I'm taking Dalvin Cook. I'm going to take on the risk for a guy who, again, you know, could be a top two running back when he's healthy. But Adam Thielen is my favorite Vikings target right now. Um, he's going at wide receiver 14 in the early fourth round. I think he's a great value there. I, I'm even, you know, I'm to the point. If he's going in the early fourth round, I'll probably just take him in the late third round. If I'm
0: sitting there just to make sure I get him. My only problem with him is having um <laughs> Robert Woods going right in the same ranch.
1: No, 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 no. Woods, Woods is Woods is like a mid to late fourth round or a fifth rounder. I mean, yeah, you so that, you, I guess you take, in round four. I mean, you, you take Thielen in the third, and you take Woods in, in the fourth. I guess that the only issue with Thielen in the third is sometimes I want to take
0: Allen Robinson there. Yeah, yeah. See that? I mean. Whatever your specific names are, that's my only issue with Adam Thielen Is there are several guys yep. that I look like I look at and say, "Oh, I like him. Oh, I like him."
1: Yeah, th- that's fair. Um, I think the takeaway is, um, you know, those third, fourth,
0: fifth round wide receivers are, are
1: the better bets than the running backs going in similar range. Yes.
0: Who I don't like, there's just not enough upside to push me toward Kirk Cousins here. He's going just ahead of mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo and about a round ahead of Gardner Minshew, Philip Rivers. I don't think there's more upside to Kirk Cousins than there is to any of those other three guys.
1: Yeah, not drafting Kirk Cousins much if at all. And then again, Alexander Madison, he's at running back 44, um, so you know, not crazy. Won't kill you for taking him there, but um, I, I think there's guys you know like Kevin Coleman, especially on Johnson, who who have more standalone upside. And again, even with Madison, I think we we don't know for sure that he'd step into even
0: 80% 80% of Dalvin Cook's role if Cook goes down this season. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally out on Alexander Madison. That's going to do it for this NFC North preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see how we project all of these guys and to read up on the 23 free player profiles available to dig into all the goodness that comes with being a DS insider. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShalfDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smol and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauff, thanks so much for swimming with us.